the Emerging Markets Equities Podcast by Aberdeen. Hello, everybody. This is Nick Robinson from Aberdeen, and you're listening to the Emerging Markets Equity Podcast, the show that explores the factors that underpin our thinking on emerging markets. We ask our expert guests for big questions from key individuals to evolving trends, all with the goal to identify and profit from opportunities in the region. So today we're going to discuss one of the biggest market themes at the moment, artificial intelligence, and specifically in the context of emerging markets. Since the beginning of the year, with the launch of ChatGPT and then two incredible quarterly earnings result releases from the semiconductor company NVIDIA that showed just how much investment is going into AI chips, the market has been gripped by AI and what it means for the world economy and companies. So today I wanted to focus on how this AI revolution could impact emerging markets specifically. So I'm delighted to be joined once again by Pruksa Iam Thongtong, who is our expert in Asian technology based out of our Singapore office. Pruksa, I think this is your third time on the podcast, so you're, you're a pretty regular guest. Welcome back. It's great to have you on again. Yeah, indeed, Nick. Thanks for having me back. And it's um, exciting to talk about this uh, AI topic, which has been a very hot topic this year. Yeah, it's really exciting. And I, I kind of feel like we've left this topic a few months uh, to discuss, which gives us hopefully a bit more insight now that things have settled down a bit post the kind of excitement around March and April. So yeah, firstly, I wanted to talk about AI in general and how it's impacting emerging markets and how the impact might be a bit different from more developed markets. And example I was thinking about was how wireless telco had a different impact in EM than DM. You know, in the developed world, prior to wireless, communication was pretty good. You know, most people already had a landline or an easy access to one. But this wasn't really the case in emerging markets, particularly in rural areas. So actually, when mobile phone became ubiquitous, it had a much larger impact on productivity as now most of the population could suddenly be connected without the time and expense of building landline connections. So, you know, do you think we might see something similar today where the AI revolution could have a similarly different impact on EM versus DM? Yeah, the short answer is yes, Nick. And, and I think it's important to put this into, into the context as well, where it has been um, something that's been under research since the 1960s. But I think the question is why now? And we feel that the, the real inflection point in terms of you know, the more commercial adoption really came over the last few years. And um, consumers have just become more familiar last year when um, ChatGPT became a bit more consumer-facing as well. I'm sure um, you have gone um, on to, to try to ask ChatGPT some questions. So I think that's something that um, have gotten a, a bit more traction and putting AI in the forefront of consumers' mind. But I think what's important is that um, given the timing of today, um, EM, uh, Emerging Markets, stands to reap the benefits of, number one, years of prior R&D um, and the dollars that have gone into it. Um, so perhaps we have sort of like gone past the proof of concept phase and we are now entering more into what you call implementation phase when the technology is out of the lab and becoming a bit more um, applicable to the real world today. And this is really possible because we have a combination of a few things today. Number one, more data. Um, this is the ability to generate, collect, 
and make sense as well of all the data that is coming through. And number two, um, lower computing costs as semiconductor advances continues. So yes, I think uh, we are seeing the power of leapfrogging and you know, EM would have less legacy infrastructure so you can actually design the optimal data center architecture, for example, from the start without having to worry too much or having to reconfigure existing legacy infrastructure. So this makes um, the spending um, a lot more uh, efficient as well. And if you were to talk about the broader opportunities of AI and more specifically generative AI, um, we are a very big believer that it has the potential to transform many industries and that ChatGPT um, that you and I know are just the tip of the iceberg. Um, if you talk about, you know, it ranges from nearer term opportunities in software applications, um, like minute ticking of the podcast we are doing today, uh, and the ability to summarize this, um, that drives higher productivity. But there are other interesting areas um, like healthcare, which we can um, talk, go into a lot more details later as well. And this is happening today in certain companies that we are invested in. So I would say uh, very, very exciting and lots of potential to come. Yeah, thanks. So yeah, thinking about emerging markets specifically, there's yeah, obviously been a lot of focus on AI and, and developed market companies like Microsoft, Google, NVIDIA. Yeah, how does emerging market benefit, do you think, in terms of companies and, and the supply chain? And yeah, as I mentioned, now that we're several months into this investment cycle, where else would you see benefiting in emerging markets beyond the more obvious initial beneficiaries like Taiwan Semiconductor, which make all the NVIDIA chips? Yeah, I think um, after the past few months, we are seeing more beneficiaries, actually. So I would say um, overall, the excitement have not died down, but um, in fact, it has uh, broadened out to include a wider range of industries and companies as well. But just starting to look at um, DM, um, the reason why DM companies are gaining lots of excitement, um, that's really because that's where the large tech companies are from um, in terms of you know, their hyperscalers activities. And they are at the forefront of the various uh, language learning models, um, the LLMs, as well as the investment into their end applications, whether you think about um, OpenAI's ChatGPT, and of course, um, NVIDIA that you have mentioned with its very powerful GPU, uh, to power the um, the model's computation work, basically. Now, if you compare that to EM, um, all this excitement um, will actually need to be built somewhere. So EM continues to play its traditional role of being the factory of the world. And um, the needs from the EM perspective will need to be manufactured and supported um, in Asia because this is where the bulk of the technology supply chain sits. Um, including the most advanced areas of technology. So plenty of opportunity here. And I think um, I've emphasized a few times now that we are very excited about, uh, about this opportunity. I think the key here to understand is that in order for generative AI to fulfill its full potential, models will need to be trained, computational capabilities will need to be built, so this is like the first wave of the investment opportunity um, that we hear about, you know, when you talk about NVIDIA GPU, which is a key component in the data center AI server and NVIDIA, um, their manufacturing is done as TSMC. So this is the first layer of opportunity and this explains, you know, all the focus and excitement today. But what we think is equally interesting or even more interesting is the second layer of opportunity that lies in the rest of, say, the data center architecture and we see the need for data center architecture upgrade and redesign 
And this means is that the various components that goes into the workings of the data center will need to be upgraded to handle more complex tasks as well and more complex calculation. I thought um, during one of the visit that we went, that we did in Taiwan this year in May, uh, one of our companies, uh, which is a mid-cap company, um, shared this analogy with me and I thought oh, it's very timely to share with you today. Um, the company makes network, they make data center switches. And if you imagine that, you know, we have a lot more data traffic and this traffic um, are like cars on the highway and this is going to get more congested. Um, basically, the highway will need to be upgraded um, and they will need to, the lanes will need to be expanded. Um, the traffic light, which is the switch in this case, will also need to be faster and smarter to control the cars that may be driving in many more directions. So you can see this um, upgrading um, of the highway and its um, components would be a very long-term multi-year structural trend. Yes, uh, I mean, that's something that's been quite clear, I think, from the NVIDIA earnings calls, just how the role of the data center is now changing from you know, data storage to much more compute. Um, and that seems to be quite a big CapEx driver. If we, you know, if we think about the investment opportunities, kind of moving away, I suppose, from the direct supply chain of AI and thinking about more you know, the companies that should benefit from access to the various AI-driven tools. You know, what, you know, what kind of companies would you highlight there? And I suppose as a follow-up, is there a risk, you think, that a lot of the value that's created by artificial intelligence accrues to big tech in the US? I think at the first stage, um, you will probably see a lot of that value uh, being accrued to the big tech companies in the US. So just answering the first, the second question first. And I think that's really because of the huge investment that they have been making and they are trying to find ways to basically uh, monetize the investment that they have been made. But I think what's quite clear for us um, going forward is that as the cost of AI adoption gets cheaper, as people actually understand more about how to apply um, this technology, I think you will see the potential of this broadening out across many industries and I think right down to the to the smaller companies and the smaller guys, um, especially the cost of adoption gets um, gets cheaper and you may not need to, you know, no one, everyone doesn't need to have their own model, but they can have like uh, the application layer above the, the big models that need a lot of investment. So I think um, that's something that we can look forward to um, in terms of how this would um, move on from, say, the big players into, into the smaller players as well. Um, in the earlier question, I touched upon, um, you know, the benefits of healthcare um, as well as the semiconductor opportunities. But I think um, if you were to extend beyond that, um, where healthcare, we focus on the productivity that can be achieved through whether you talk about drug discovery or whether you talk about um, imaging diagnostics or like cancer detection, for example, um, companies that are involved in the business of, say, content generation and creative which is something that we initially thought that AI wouldn't be creative, um, is actually benefiting from this as well. So these can be companies that are involved in games development, um, the entertainment industry, the advertising industry, for example, um, anything that you have to basically use uh, manpower to create content um, will be able to benefit from, from the use of generative AI to lower costs. Apart from this, we also see um, it being beneficial for IT outsourcing companies. 
um, again, very similar concept because the use of AI should help to relieve the labor-intensive nature of software coding. So you might have heard something about uh, co-pilot in terms of coding, and that allows um, the engineers to free more time to work on more value-added work and again, increasing productivity. So I think in a nutshell, um, any industry that can benefit from productivity improvement that comes from AI adoption will stand to benefit um, from a cost perspective and allows you to work on more value-added stuff. So there is also a cost angle to this whole AI adoption. Great. Yeah. And, as, as, and I suppose if we think about it as being a tool to enhance productivity and, and a, you know, if AI is a potential future engine of productivity, you know, how significant is it, do you think, to Chinese growth that their access to these chips and equipment to make the chips has been limited? Yeah, this is a timely question um, because the updated export control rule from the um, from the US has just been published, um, and and I think the the short answer is that in the short term we probably won't see much impact because um, the leaders within this in China, uh, the large internet companies that have been at the forefront of this, like the US companies, um, have stocked up quite a fair bit of inventories. So, so they have a good level of inventories to, to run through and train their models, which is the current uh, situation. In the medium term, um, when we look at the cheap uh, capability of, of, of the Chinese, um, there is a bit of a technological gap um, if they cannot get their hands um, on, on the right chip that are um, not permitted to be exported to, to China. And this is taking um, into consideration of a strict uh, scenario where basically the approval for export will not be granted. So what this means is that um, given that you have basically lower performance chips um, in the Chinese market, you probably will take more chips to train the model and it's going to be more expensive to do so. So in simple terms, that means that it might take longer and more costly to achieve the same outcome in terms of training and, and the way that your algorithm works. Longer term though, um, we will see that uh, China is very likely um, continue to improve its technology as well as its localization drive so that the gap will narrow over time. And again, um, there is also a different way of designing the data center architecture, uh, make it very suitable for specific tasks and you don't have to go through the route today. So I think there should be some efficiency improvement as well uh, to help to mitigate this limitation. And I think um, ultimately, it might just also be the case that the models are trained um, currently. Um, they are good enough. We don't have to have a, you know, a very, very sophisticated model. And the future focus is really on the application end. And that means um, it requires less complexity and less uh, usage of supercomputers. But I think um, over the long term, we will need to see how this develops. And it's something that we are monitoring very closely. Yeah, one example of maybe how China is managing to get by despite the restrictions was this recent launch of a Huawei phone that uses seven nanometer chips. Yeah, what's your take on this phone and and what it implies? Is it you know signs that restrictions aren't working as anticipated, or perhaps that Chinese onshore technology is more advanced than a lot of people have anticipated? Yeah, this is something that I think caught caught us by surprise, and there are many versions of details out there that are hard to verify uh, given that Huawei is also a private company. But I think um, this is how we will try to analyze the, the situation. So if you look at um, the chip um, that, that is in question, it is quite likely that uh, this 
is made through a process called multiple patterning, um, which is basically a more expensive process um, than using an EUV tool. And this tool is not available in China. Um, it has not been um, able to be exported to China. And what this means is that it is also quite likely that this comes with a trade-off in terms of lower production yield. When you think about manufacturing costs, um, you will have a higher cost. And also from a cheap specification perspective, it may not be advanced as you know the chip that we find in an iPhone today, which runs um, at uh, 3 nanometer to 5 nanometer as well. However, if you look at it from an overall phone product perspective, um, this chip may be good enough and perhaps the hardware shortfall can be mitigated by software and the higher cost may also be absorbed by Huawei uh, given that it is a high it is a private company we actually don't know uh, with regard to the margin transparency there as well so i think um consumers so far have had good reviews and they are adopting this so i think the experience has been pretty good from a consumer perspective but I think what's quite clear is that this is a showcase of China's localization drive that I've touched about before, um, that I think will remain the long-term goal of the Chinese government. And so while the restrictions have tightened up, and I think this might continue to be tightened up as we move forward, um, the direction of travel for China towards cheap localization will continue over the long term. Thanks. Yeah, I suppose I asked you earlier about the risk of benefits of AI accruing to the big US tech companies, but perhaps an optimist would say that given decoupling of China and US tech, that's going to be less of a risk to China going forward. Yes, that's right. And I think um, from a self-sufficiency uh, reason, I think um, we talk about how they will be able to handle the, the short to medium term picture at the expense of cost and perhaps uh, productivity. But longer term, I think we see investment opportunities in both the um, China supply chain as well as the ex-China supply chain as well, given the localization drive that we have talked about. Great. Well, on that optimistic note towards China, perhaps that's a good place to draw the podcast to a close. So the only thing left for me to do is thank my guest, Pruxa. Thank you. Thanks, Nick, for having me. And thanks to everyone who took the time today to listen in. If you enjoyed today, then please download our other podcasts from our website or wherever you normally get your podcasts. Watch out for our next episode and tune in. Thank you for listening to the Emerging Markets Equities Podcast brought to you by Aberdeen. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and for more great content, visit aberdeen.com. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for informational purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen. The companies discussed in this podcast have been selected for illustrative purposes only or to demonstrate our investment management style and not as an investment recommendation or indication of their future performance. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns, return projections or estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.